Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Improv Chronicle podcast. I'm Lloydie. It's Tuesday, 31st of December, 2019. You've heard from some incredible improv voices since this podcast launched in July. There's been some diverse opinions, some moments of discovery for participants, for listeners, and definitely for me as the host. But I've not been able to include everything everyone said. This episode, I've been through a number of the interviews I did and picked out some of the bits that I found interesting, a lot of which didn't make it into the episode originally due to time or because it was a side topic. These are the bits that stood out as I went through the archive, and although some pieces were used at least in part for an episode, these all struck me as points worth including at the end of the year. Let's start at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival back in August when I spoke to Mara Joy from the Spontaneous Players. We were speaking about why improvisers do the Edinburgh Fringe every year, but this particular strand of conversation also strayed into why anyone would spend a month of their life each year playing at this particular festival. It's such a, it's such an intense experience, and it's such a, a like a, a baptism of fire or a, a rite of passage or all sorts of these cliches. But it's, it exists for a reason. I think the reason why it's continued for so long is that I think comedy, sort of, and improv, I think is is, uh, is not exempt from this. Needs that kind of intensity sometimes. Like it's easy to get complacent in improv. We've all done it, uh, where you do a show either weekly or monthly. Uh, weekly if you're lucky. Monthly if you're able <laughs> uh, and you get into a groove from it and you get the same audiences coming back and you're like ah oh, these guys love us we can do no wrong oh, our community is so supportive oh it's great and then doing a show where like nine people who have no idea who you are show up and you're like oh oh hang on yeah I'm not <laughs> I'm not anything I'm just like another performer for these people I need to still do a show I can't coast along on my goodwill I have to actually remember how to do this and put on a good show and oh they're not reacting to this stuff have I got anything else in this or have I only got one part of my bag of tricks left that I've been relying on or I don't know there's something really there's something really special about French and uh, I think that might be it 
just the sheer uh, the sheer grind of it. <laughs> yeah. One of the more controversial episodes you might have heard is the one where the improv concept of yes and was spoken about. It's an idea central to improv that you say yes to the idea that your scene partner's putting forward and then add to it. Rob Norman, author of the book Improvising Now, a practical guide to modern improv and host of the Backline podcast, had some interesting thoughts on this. He sat pretty squarely in the middle of the debate of this particular episode. It's worth going back and hearing the whole thing, but I think this particular part of our interview articulates the middle ground really well. On an improv stage, so much of what we're doing is imaginary. So much of it is, is disposable. The only thing that actually is true the only thing that's actually real is how we treat each other. So if I yell at you on stage or I'm yelling at you on the street, Lloydy, it looks the exact same. And for an audience's brain, they probably can't tell the difference. So when I think about actual, what's actually being said, like what's being said is actually just a vehicle to get emotion or dynamic to the audience. It's not the integral part. Um, you know, you mentioned not asking questions or always saying yes. Like, these were simple ways to describe something much bigger, which is don't ask questions is a way of saying take power, make decisions. Like, you're on stage for such a short amount of time in this fantastical space. Don't get caught up in someone else's story. That's, I think, what that means. Yes and means don't be a jerk. Let other people have their experience. Don't try and change their emotional state. Allow them to do what, what they want to do. It's about collaboration. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's a real danger to yes and too. I mean, I teach yes and still. In beginning levels, yes and is the first thing that I would teach someone. And I do that because it's the easiest way to talk about collaboration. But as people get to the, the higher levels, you know, yes and stops being so helpful it starts to feel almost like like handcuffs the first episode of the improv chronicle podcast looked at the growth of improv festivals around the world stacy smith is an internationally renowned festival performer and festival director she's known for her work at io in chicago and is currently at boom chicago in amsterdam we spoke about how improvisers go to festivals now, even if they're not going to perform there. Yeah, because I think that there are certain festivals in some of the bigger cities, like Chicago, LA, and New York, that people would attend the festival as improvisers, even if they haven't had a group in the festival, like DCM. I've known people to go to DCM that were not involved in DCM just to take a trip to New York for the weekend to see all of the groups. And I think the same was for Chicago Improv Festival when it existed. This is the first year that we don't have it. Um, it just stopped after over, maybe over 25 years. It was one of the longer running ones, but it got so big that it just was different from when it was conceived. It changed the most of any festival that I've been a part of, both on the performing end and on the man management side. And so, yeah, you'll see that a lot of the ones within the United States, like groups will go just to see other groups because they'll be able to take workshops from instructors that they don't get in their smaller communities, etc. So it's very interesting how different a lot of them are. 
So you touched on the management side there. Like you've run and do run festivals as well yourself, as well as being a, like an attendee and a teacher at festivals. Yeah, I run the Chicago Musical Improv Festival. And I used to work on Chicago Sketch Comedy Festival, the Chicago Women's Funny Festival, the Chicago Improv Festival, and the Teen Comedy Festival. What's the wildest thing you've seen at an improv festival on and off stage? Ooh. That's the juicy question. Yeah, so at the Chicago Sketch Comedy Festival, which is still learning, running at Stage 773, there's a secret show that's called Sketchubator, where it's not open to the public, it's only open to the performers, and there are 200 to 300 sketch comedy performers, because not only do they have, like, two full weekends, every sketch group has, like, sometimes up to, like, 12 performers. So there are hundreds of people... And, you're sub- and you submit purposefully like sketches that either didn't work or ones that will shock an audience. You get like two minutes to do the craziest thing you've ever done on stage. And so I have seen many unbelievable things that I hope to never see again in my life that will haunt me to my dying age. <laughs> Of just like people that have done just outlandish things with like food and and with their bodies that are just unbelievable. But in terms of, and then I think I've seen, and I won't name names because that will be rude. But there was one group of very many famous people that came to do a secret show at one of the festivals that I helped manage, and so there were about two hundred fifty people in the audience, and they never improvised for an hour. They just talked on stage with beers and everyone asked for their money back so I had to be on the management side of that which was a total delightmare. After that tale about a bad show let's talk about good shows for a second. I spoke to Tim Sniffen from Baby Wants Candy and Improvised Shakespeare about how people can get out of an improv rut and go back to having fun shows. I asked him what to do if the planets align and you find yourself on stage doing one of those wonderful, effortless shows. You can't predict it. The best you can do is begin to feel it when it's happening and just lean into it. And even then, if you try to get too controlling about it, that can wreck it as well. So I think the best you can do is begin to develop the vague sense of when you're having a good show because you don't want to become so aware of it that you're not in the show anymore. It really is like, um, if I can get super geeky, uh, it reminds me of like uh, the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy approach to flying is to kind of wander off of like gravity's attention for a while. So you just throw yourself to the ground and get so caught up in what you're doing. But if you think about it too much, you fall. A good show is like that. You can't get so swept up in, oh my God, it's happening, or it won't be anymore. The Improv Chronicle podcast continues in a minute with thoughts about fostering community in improv. Platform zero for 11.44 cross-country service to Nottingham. The Robin Hood International Improv Festival comes to Nottingham in the UK in May 2020. I'm the co-artistic director along with this absolute ass, Liam Webber. Uh, You can't say that, it's radio. Our headliners include... The Maydays! And Stacey Smith from Boom Chicago, who's going to be performing with Shantira Jackson with their show. 
Womance, like romance and woman put together. Joran Gargello from CIC Theatre Chicago is going to be there. He's going to be performing. He's, he's a be, wizard. He's going to be teaching his wizardry. He's a wizard. This festival is taking place 7th to 10th of May 2020 in Nottingham in the UK. And you can be there. Apply to perform at robinhoodimprov.co.uk. We're on social media at Robin Hood Improv, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, check us out. Liam will meet you at the railway station and give you a hug. Uh, only, if, only if you're into that. If not, just like a firm handshake or a nod. I love working with you. Earlier this year, I spoke to Gaurav Singh in Delhi about how when they market improv shows there, they keep the community building aspect of it top of mind. And I mean, there are things that we, um, our practice at least tries to be a little um, careful about. So, so as we marketing, you know, our improv shows, we really highlight, you know, the sort of what sets our practice apart, which is, you know, the creation of a safe space while improvising, uh, respecting ideas of comfort, consent, safety and improv. And I think my sort of my day job as a marketer, what that brings into all of this is that um, it's about community building, I think, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you're asking people to come and pay for a show that they know that is made up on the spot and i think some of them also feel like yeah these guys are totally made up of shit like they like they were full of shit like there's nothing really like there's no art form there's no like process behind what they're doing but i think it's the fact that if someone's able to identify as a part of the community that yes i'm either a performer of the improv community or i am someone who attends improv shows and i'm a community member in that aspect um i think that's what we try to strive for i'd like to end this episode where we began it in edinburgh Sometimes you can talk to an improviser you've never met before outside a venue on a bench and just nerd out on a million different improv things. That's exactly what happened when I met Liz Allen from IO in Second City. She was over at the Fringe for the first time since 1995 and she was alive with ideas and loving every moment. And so much of what we chatted about, I just couldn't use for time. And Liz's improv background is so immense, it's fascinating. And much of that came out in the podcast. But what we didn't get to do is focus on some of the cool stuff that she's done in the past and some of the cool names she's worked with. Which is why I wanted to close with this, because her take on it is so great. I've been here, I've been, improv has been so amazing to me. I've been in the improv world since 92 and I feel uh, I've, it's been the most amazing ride. I've... Uh, I got to direct a show for the Second City in Vegas, and I'm going to totally plug Mike Birbiglia's movie, Don't Think Twice. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's this I've am- watched it. Oh, great. Okay, so I was lucky enough to coach the ensemble offstage, their group called The Commune, and that was has been like a pinnacle experience for me in improv because he captured my life for 20 years and all of our lives, right? Yes, you're pointing to yourself, right? He captured our lives in film and to or on film and to be a part of that has been one of the biggest honors of my life. Yeah, I'm improv famous. Do you want to drop any names? <laughs> Come on. What you mean of uh, people you've taught, people you've worked with? Oh, people I've taught, people I've worked with. Well, sure. I mean, my nearest and dearest improv longest friends are Bob Dassey and Stephanie Weir. Weird ass, right? Bob and I were in classes together. Paul Grandi was on Frank Booth was in classes together. People ask me a lot, who's the most famous person you taught? And the first one that comes to mind is John Lutz. He was, uh, you know, he's so, right, he's so well-known, he's so sweet. But what I love about 
and I, you know, I got to mention the Mission Improvables and in the West Side in L.A. See, the problem with this right now when you ask me this is all these other people are like, you brat, what about me? What I love about improv, though, is that when you're improvising, that moment of improv, we're all in an ensemble together. There's no hierarchy of paycheck. There's no hierarchy of success. When you're absolutely improvising, nothing else matters but the uh, equality of everyone and the support, support, support. And one of the things that was just brought home to me and don't think twice was no matter what level of commercial success you have, if you're a true improviser, none of it matters, and you're just there to make your scene partner, your friends, your ensemble members look amazing. Next time on the Improv Chronicle podcast. I'm not wishing to start the year off on a controversial note, but notes are important in improv. So how should we be giving notes in improv? And also, when should we be doing it? The Improv Chronicle podcast is produced and presented by me, Lloydie James Lloyd. Please subscribe and rate us on your favourite podcast app by going to ratethispodcast.com slash improvchronicle. If you have an idea for a possible episode or you'd like to know more about how commercial content is treated, then go to the website, improvchronicle.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.